to slap somebody a high five, wake somebody up, say, I'm glad you are here. All right, some of you are just, all right, now, 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 now check this out. How about this? How about this? How about this? Right? How about slapping somebody a high five? You don't know. What's up, brother? Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Bring it in. Bring it in. Good morning. Come on now. See, some of you ain't, some, some of you are not used to church this way. And it's all right. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he who desires friends must first show himself friendly. And let me just, let me just say this clearly, that this is what the church is. It's one. We supply one another's needs. We encourage and we build one another up. That's what the scripture says, right? All right, well, that went over a lot better than I thought. Well, good morning. Uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge. And today we have the privilege of digging into God's word. Listen, I don't know what your experience, what your understanding is of a relationship with God. My job here today is not to convince you of anything. My job is simply this, to point you to the word of God. Not to my opinion, to the word of God. And I guarantee you this, that what we're going to be talking about today is really going to challenge some of us. Because we're on a series that we just started a couple of weeks back called Unstuck. And here's what I know. You ever been stuck? Some of you, you're telling the truth. Some of you just lying through your teeth. Don't be that holy. Don't be so, so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we all find ourselves in ruts at times. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how high you've climbed the mountains of faith. We all experience challenges. We all find ourselves in places where we feel stuck. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is we've been digging into the book of Galatians. And this is a letter written by this guy named Paul who was a church planner, called an apostle. And basically what Paul did is Paul went from region to region. God called him, Christ called him, he has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, I'm sending you out to those that don't fit the mold. See, when Jesus came, he said, I came to speak to the Jews. But after Jesus rose again, Jesus said, no, 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 this isn't just for the, the Jew club. This isn't just for the Jesus juniors. This isn't just for the church people, the people that heard the message at first. He says, no, I want you to go into all the world. And so this guy, Paul, receives this call from Jesus, and he steps out. And one of the regions that he went to was this place called Galatia. It was a, a, a uh, region that had been settled by the people of Rome. And these people from Galatia were originally from an area called Gaul. And these people were mercenaries. These people lived life uh, with a free-spirited. Uh, they kind of did their own thing. They paved their own way. And then they get uh, uh, conquered by Rome. And now they find themselves in this region that's called, that was called Galatia. It's what's known today as modern-day Turkey. And... Things started to go really good for them when Paul shows up because Paul began to teach them about Jesus. Paul began to talk to them about what relationship with God really was. And these people began to thrive. They began to grow. They experienced great blessing. There was a vibrant community of believers there. And so Paul went there on three separate occasions and he taught them. And he lived amongst them. And he shared life with them. And these people experienced great freedom. 
They were pagan uh, worshipers by nature. And then when they get to hear about Jesus and they believe in Jesus, their lives change. But then all of a sudden, what we have is a record, an account of Paul writing to them and bringing some correction. I'm going to tell you why. Because while they started off right, on the right foot, while they started off going straight down the path and they were set on Jesus and they believed in Jesus, all of a sudden they took the wheel and they just began to pull slightly to the left. You ever do that on the road? You just slightly go to the left and you go, I'm between the lines, no big deal. And all of a sudden you find yourself way left in another lane. You never intended to be there. What's my point with that? That if we just pull slightly to the left or to the right and begin to deviate from a relationship with God that's dependent upon Jesus and not what we do for God to be right. Guess what will happen? When we go that far left, eventually you'll find yourself in places you never thought you'd be. You know what it's called? It's called religion. It's called religion. It's called rules. It's, it, it's called control. And the main message of this book of Galatians is freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. And so the first week we learned that when Paul addresses this issue where he says to them, how did you get to this point? Who deceived you? Who pulled you away from this message of the gospel that you're now putting confidence in what you do? Listen to what happened. These Jewish Christians show up and they go, hey, we believe in Jesus too. By the way, are you circumcised? How's that for membership in the body of Christ? Think about that. You show up and you say, how can I become a member? Well, you know, we're going to have to operate on your man parts first. How's that for relationship with God? Oh, and by the way, we have 613 laws, and are you following this one? And you broke this one, so you got to repent for that one, and you got to sacrifice this animal. And so it threw them into confusion. And when Paul addresses this matter amongst them, the very first thing that he tells them from the gate in Galatians 1 is this. It's the grace of God and the grace of God alone that you need. It's the power to break free. The second week, uh, we learned that life is supposed to be lived from the inside out. That we're, the life that we now live, we live by faith, of, by the faith of the Son of God. That Paul puts it this way. He says, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. You know what that does there? That obliterates every title that we put emphasis on. Oh, this is bishop such and such. This is prophet such and such. This is apostle such and such. You know what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3? He says, and the apostles... It makes no difference to me who they are. You know what he says? I preach Christ. It's about Jesus. It's about God in your life. And so, in, in the last week, we learned that faith operates as a law. And that when we function according to faith, it truly sets us free. And so, as we ended chapter 3 last week, Paul provides us a segue into another key to getting unstuck in life. So I want to go back to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses, verse 26, and then we're going to skip over to 28 and 29. And so watch what he starts off by saying. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How many did he say? All, right? All. Now listen closely to this. Verse 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs, watch this, according to the promise. According to the promise. And so I want you to begin to see something. Because today, as we dive into chapter 4, segueing from the end of chapter 3, we're going to be discussing this topic of sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. What does it mean to be a son and a daughter? Why is that so important as it pertains to this relationship and the grace of God? Let me share a quick story that I uh, read a while ago. It's just an analogy that I want to allude to. And it it comes from the life of a guy named Leonardo da Vinci. This guy was a noted Italian artist, painter, and sculptor. And this guy painted the last, what's known today as the Last Supper. Very famous painting. And it took him seven years for him to complete it. The thing about it is that the figures representing the 12 apostles and Christ himself were painted from living people. Like he literally went out and surveyed and searched for people that met the description, the vision that he had to paint this painting. And so when it was decided that da Vinci would paint this great picture, hundreds of young men were carefully viewed in an endeavor to find a face and personality exhibiting innocence and beauty. Free from the scars and signs of dissipation dissipation caused by sin. He was looking for someone that would fit the mold of Jesus. And finally, after weeks of laborious search, he finds a young man, 19 years of age, and he selected him to be a model for the portrayal of Christ. And so for six months, da Vinci studied this young man. He looked at him intently as he painted and he, he sketched out the, the whole framework for what would become the picture of Christ in the, in the Last Supper. And during the next six years, one by one, he went through that same process as he identified 11 other people amongst hundreds and hundreds of people who would fit the mold of what he wanted to portray as the apostles. And so he gets to the point where this guy wanted to keep Judas last. Da Vinci said, Judas is the last one that I will paint. Now, you got to remember, this is the guy who betrayed the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so for weeks, Da Vinci searched for a man with a hard, callous face, with a countenance marked by scars of avarice and deceit and hypocrisy and crime, a face that would delineate a character who would betray his best friend. And after many discouraging experiences in searching for this type of person required to represent Judas in his mind, word came to da Vinci that a man whose appearance fully met his requirements had been found in a dungeon in Rome. This guy was sentenced to death for for murder and various crimes. And so da Vinci made the trip to Rome at once. And this man was brought out from his imprisonment in the dungeon and let out into the light in the sun. And there, da Vinci began to examine this dark, swarthy, long-haired, shaggy, unkept man who portrayed a character of viciousness and complete ruin. At last, the famous painter had found the person he wanted to represent the character of Judas. And so, by special permission from the king, the prisoner was taken to Milan where the picture was being painted. 
And for months, he sat before Da Vinci at appointed hours each day as this gifted artist diligently continued his task of transmitting and conveying to his painting the base character representing the traitor, the betrayer of our Savior, Judas. As he finished his last stroke, he turned to the guards and said, I have finished. You may take the prisoner away. And as the guards began to lead this prisoner away, he suddenly broke loose from their control and rushed up to Da Vinci, crying as he did and said, Da Vinci, look at me. Look at me. Don't you know who I am? And Da Vinci, with trained eyes of, great, of a great character student, carefully scrutinized the man upon whose face he had constantly gazed for six months and replied, no, I have never seen you in my life until now before you were, brought for me, you were brought to me from the dungeon in Rome. And then lifting his eyes to heaven, the prisoner said, Oh God, have I fallen so low? Then turning his face to the painter, he cried, Da Vinci, look at me. Look at me again. I'm the same man you painted just seven years ago as the figure of Christ. I'll tell you why I share this story with you as we get started here. It's a sad day when we can get so far away from who we are in Christ that we become unrecognizable. And let me tell you why that's important. Because it's not about your behavior. I'm going to be very clear on this. It's not about your behavior for God. Because if it depended on how good you behave, you don't need Jesus. You just need your religion. You just need to do what seems right to you. You just need to be a good person. And that's not what the gospel is about. And so this, just like this man, we too can get so far away from our identity in Christ that we begin to resemble something that we were never meant to be. That's what religion will do to you. That's what confidence in yourself will do. And so as I said, today I want to talk to you about being sons and daughters because you see, this is exactly what Paul now addresses as an issue that had developed in the lives of the Galatians as we now dig into chapter 4. It was prevalent in their lives to such an extent that these people where they once put confidence in Christ now put confidence in their adherence to religious rules. They got far away from their sonship. And Paul says to them in Galatians 3, as we read, that they are Abraham's seed and they are heirs according to the promise. You know what an heir is? An heir is one who has a right to everything that's the father's. Chew on that for a while. Chew on that one for a while. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. You're an heir, a son and daughter of the father. And I love what Paul says in chapter 3. He says, it doesn't matter. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Do you realize what he's saying in the context of the society that he's addressing? They put great importance on where you came from. Are you a male or are you a female? If you're a male, then you dominate. If you're a Jew, yeah, you belong under my feet. If you're a Greek, you're someone of some notoriety. If you're slave... It makes a big difference whether you're slave or you're free. And here's what Paul begins to address. The very things that people put their confidence in in that society. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. 
doesn't matter if you're male or female. There's only one thing that matters if you're Christ's. If you're Christ's. And so let's dive into Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, we're not going to read the entire chapter of chapter 4 today. Uh, there's, there's a lot in there, but verses 1 through 7 really summarize what, what Paul's intent is in this portion of his letter. He starts off by saying in verse 1, what am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage. Let me just clarify something here. He's talking about when we were without Christ. He's saying when you weren't at a place of maturity, when you had not come to be alive in Christ. And so watch what he's saying here. He says, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. I'm going to say that again. You are no longer a slave. I'm going to say that again. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir. That's a mouthful there. But I want us to consider this. Hearing what we see is how any one of us can easily find ourselves stuck in life and in faith. Listen, the Galatians had gone so far left of their relationship to Christ that Paul equates their mindset and where they found themselves equivalent to being a slave. And here's what makes it worse. The, the verbiage that he uses there in the, in the, in the Greek is, implies it's a slave who was set free and then goes back to being a slave. So here's what Paul's saying. How did you get so far left? How did you go to that extent that you believe it's better to be back in bondage? It's better to be stuck in a muck like a duck. It's better to be stuck in destructive mindsets. It's better to put confidence in your adherence to religious rules, to your, to your attendance to a place that you call church when you, what, what you're not realizing is that you are the church and you brought it when you came here. Amen or oh me. It's one or the other. And so, listen, Paul is literally saying, this, this is what he's getting at. After being free, why would you want to go back to being bound? Why would you want to go back to being stuck? Look, here's the truth. I pray that we can just be honest with ourselves. At some point, 
we've all looked back to something, to someone, somewhere, at some time. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know your story, but maybe, just maybe, you might be there. Or at some point, you'll find yourself with the temptation to look backwards. Let me just put it to you this way. When you're driving your car, do you focus on the windshield or the rearview mirror? Some of you didn't get that. Listen closely. Your life in Christ was never intended for you to live backwards. Faith calls us forward. The Bible says that we go from faith to faith. Another portion of scripture says that we go from glory to glory. It's progressive. We continue moving forward. And so I want to point something out to you here that's very important because the key to getting unstuck from that something, that someone, that somewhere, that somehow, that sometime is to get back to your identity as a son and daughter of God. Your life in Christ. So, here's the thing. Paul here is writing to people who are believers, which might lead us to believe that this only applies to you, Christian. But that's far from the truth. Let's put up verses 1 through 3 again. I want to read this to you again because I want you to see something. He says, what, am, what, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, listen closely to what he's talking about. As long as anyone finds himself in that position before Christ. Watch what he says. He is no different from a slave. In other words, he's stuck. Although he owns, listen, the whole estate. Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. What did we just read there? What did we just read there? Listen closely to what the scripture's revealing. What God has done is for the entire world. Jesus said that. Watch this. This world is full of heirs. But some don't know it. Don't know it. And you know, for us that we profess, we claim, we hold to the title of Christian, you know what that means? Little Jesus. That's what it means. For us that Hold to that. Wear it like a badge. I'm a Christian. You know, we too can live like heirs who don't know what we have. We can hold to our traditions and to our upbringings. We can find ourselves in a place called church and say, oh, this, this, is, not, this, this is not spiritual. This is not godly. You know, I've gotten that flack for wearing jeans. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I could care less. Because the Bible says that we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. After the spirit. And so, literally what we're seeing here is that God created us all to be free. Free from a slave mindset. Free from limits imposed on us. Free from religion, free from the tireless cycle of trying to be good enough. So the question is, how does a son and daughter get unstuck from that which enslaves them? How do we move past these areas that keep us stuck, living backwards instead of living forwards? 
And Paul provides us the solution in verses 4 through 7. Throw up verse 4 real quick. Watch what he says. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Watch what he's saying. That word redeem means to buy back. But it's not just talking about buying something. It's talking about buying back and bringing it to its original intended state. So watch what God is saying here. He says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who now calls out Abba, Father. I'm just going to stop right there for the sake of time. And I want to point something out to you. I want you to see that God's solution to mankind's problem and to every area where we get stuck is that he adopted us as sons and daughters. That's the choice that God made about you. That's the choice. That's his choice. But notice, if we could just go back to verse 5, I want you to see something. I want you to see this, that the redemption that we receive, that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to buy us back, to restore us to a rightful state. But watch how, watch how that happens. That we, somebody say, he's talking to me. Gonna tell somebody else he's talking to you. Now tell everybody else he's talking to us. Yes. Watch this. That we might receive adoption unto sonship. So get this. What's my point here? God has already made up his mind about you as his son and daughter. But here's the here's the key. Have you made up your mind about God as your father? Because notice what the scripture says, that God did his part, but it's up to us to receive adoption into sonship. God literally declares, I'm father unto all of them. So his mind is made up. You don't believe me? Listen to the words of Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved, oh, I, I thought it just said Christian. I, th- I thought it said just us who go to the holy temple of fire where we, we shimmy and we shake and we, and we sing and we do all this and we look good and we act the part. No, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is just as important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. That shuts down about three-quarters of churches today. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And so, listen, God's made up his mind. The question is, do we receive this sonship? See, you must receive your identity as God's child to live as an heir of God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. You must receive, you must accept, you must believe, you must wear it proudly. Some of you ladies got up this morning and you did your hair. And girl, you are doing it. It's good. It looks good. You, you put some time into it. Right? Awesome. Gentlemen, you look just as handsome, guys. You, you look awesome, guys. Right? You put some time into it. 
What if we devoted and made a daily practice of reminding ourselves and wearing it? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of the kingdom. I'm an heir. So you must receive your identity as God's child to live as an heir of God's kingdom. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just draw your attention to a portion of Scripture. See, the case of mistaken identity, the case of mistaken identity where we say, no, I'm a Jose, no, I'm a carpenter, no, I'm a mother, no, I'm a, I'm a churchgoer, no, I, I'm, I'm a reader, a student of the Bible, no, I'm this, I'm that. Those are all functions. Those are not your identity. They are not our identity. But listen, this case of mistaken identity where we forego our title as son and daughter of the king of kings. Son and daughter of God, where we let that go. This has been happening since the beginning of time. You don't believe me? Just go to Genesis. You'll see it. I'm not going that far back. Today, I want to take you to the book of Exodus. And it's a time where the people of Israel, God's chosen people, They've been hanging out. They've been camping out for about 400 years in this place called Egypt, right? And the thing about it is that when the Bible refers to Egypt, it's symbolic of one thing, of a system known as the world. It's it's literally referring to a mindset that leads and leaves us in enslavement. It's life apart from God. And so the people of God find themselves in this place, Egypt, and they are stuck. The thing about it is that it started off good, like it does for us when you get stuck. You ever been there? Oh, man, this feels good. This looks good. Yes, he is the man of my dreams. Ah. And then six months later, you're going, who in heaven is this guy? Who is this person? What is going on here? But I thought it was God. Just because it looked good? And so, they started off and it was all good in Egypt. The Pharaoh, the the, the ruling emperor of of that time, favored them. But then all of a sudden, this guy passes away. And the book of Exodus chronicles the story of Israel, God's people, And their struggle to break free from this bondage that they self-imposed upon themselves. You know why? Because they bought a lie. They bought a lie. And so when all of a sudden this new pharaoh comes into town, he decides, oh, no, we got a problem here. We got to change some things around. See, these people were prospering. They were growing. In numbers, these people were taking over Egypt. Do you know that that's a picture of what God does through his people? Did did you know that? Did you know that that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to work? It advances. It expands. It grows people. It impacts community. It impacts lives. It doesn't stay contained within these little four walls. And so check this out. 
This new pharaoh comes along and he becomes alarmed at the way they were prospering. And he decided some things had to change. Exodus chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 says this. This is his recorded words. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You can't keep God's people down. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. You know, for a long time, it puzzled me how the people of Israel could grow to such great strength and prosperity only to become slaves. Captive to the ruling minority. But God's word has a lot to say about how that becomes possible. Listen, they were more in number than the people of Egypt. They were more in number than the people of Egypt. They were prospering in every way. And here comes this Pharaoh and says this. Your title is no longer Israelite. Let me put it to you another way. Your title is no longer son, daughter, child of God. Your title is slave. And you know, slavehood, that mindset, that life is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. And so they bow down to this mentality. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, watch this. When you start trusting in God, when you look to God, when your confidence is in Jesus, it says that the veil... Is taken away. In other words, you can see. Watch this. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So let me just point some things out here just based upon what we read. Wherever God is, there's freedom. There's freedom. So God's here amongst his people. He's checking them out and he's going... What, there, there's an inconsistency here with what you're called to. You're not living as free men. You're not living as heirs of the kingdom. You've forsaken your title, your calling as a child of God. And here's what they did. It was like putting a veil over their eyes. It's like a little kid when they go, oh, I can't see you. I can't see you. You know. Only reason they can't see you is because they made the choice to cover their eyes. Listen, when you forget who you are, you forego who you belong to. When you forget who you are as a child of God, you forego who you belong to. While having the kingdom of God with you, in you, Christ alive in you. You forego life in the kingdom. You set it aside. And so the presence of God was with them. 
They were God's chosen people. But you see, it's not enough to be chosen by God for freedom in all areas of your life. We also must make the choice to choose God and seek him. See, freedom is for everyone. It's for everyone. But it is exclusive to those who seek God as his children. I'm going to say that again. Freedom is for everyone. But it is exclusive to those who seek God as his children. In other words, it's simply this. What God has done in Christ is for all. But you know who are the ones that partake of it? The ones that take part in it. The ones who seek it. It's a choice. And so the Bible says that they began to cry out to God. And the moment they began to cry out to God, something happened. Exodus 3 verses 7 through 8 says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Listen, you find yourself stuck? God cares more than you do. He cares about where you are. So they're suffering and he hears them. Verse 8, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians is to bring them out of the land of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go ahead and tell somebody there's something better than Egypt. Tell somebody else there's something better than your Egypt. Listen. God had something better for them. And this is where the Israelites and the, and the Galatians both went wrong. Can I, can, I, can I make it a little bit more personal? This is where we go wrong. We believe that we got it all together. We believe that we've arrived. <laughs> we believe that we, you know, that, that we, we're so high and mighty that we're above the fray. Man. But watch what Jeremiah 29, 13 says. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. With all your heart. Listen, don't make the mistake of believing in God, but forgetting his presence, his purpose, and his power in your life. In your search throughout life's journey, seek God with all your heart. Make that investment. So eventually, through a series of miraculous acts on their behalf and the obedience of this one guy, Moses, Egypt's grip on the people of Israel is broken. And they leave Egypt. So get this they're free. Or so it seems. It seems they're free. Listen, they've left Egypt, but the problem is they're still thinking on Egypt. Desiring Egypt. Longing for some chains, some whips, and a hot meal to go along with them. And so the Bible says that as they leave Egypt, God directs them to a land near the Red Sea as a ploy to draw out the Egyptians so that they can destroy them, so that God could destroy them. And sometime shortly after that, the Egyptians show up hot on their heels and things get really ugly. Let's see why. Exodus 14, verses 10 through 12. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. The Israelites looked up. 
Sounds like they were looking in the right direction, right? And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Listen to their prayer. Listen to their prayer. They said to Moses, Was it because there were, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> they cried out to God. And they're saying, we're dead people. Listen to what they're doing. They are writing their obituary. They're standing up and delivering their own demise. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to tell you about the wreck that I've created with my life. And now I'm about to die. This is what they're doing. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into this desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Did we not say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. Listen to what they say. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Keep in mind, these people are free. God already said that they were going to a land that flowed with milk and honey. That they would conquer great territories. Like an heir, they had a guaranteed inheritance. So here's the question. Why were they afraid? Why were they stuck? What was it that made slavery seem so much better than God's promise? Let me tell you why. Because when the past is still an option, the promise of God appears distant. When your past, when anything but God is still an option, what God has for you is distant. You're stuck. These people left Egypt as free men. But their prior existence as slaves had marred their belief, their understanding, their view of life to such an extent that they preferred bondage. i tell you why that's important. Because there are no slaves in the kingdom of God. Free men. And free women is what we have in the kingdom. God has not called you to live stuck. In Galatians 4, 8, and 9, Paul says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, watch this, or rather you're known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them? All over again? Listen, this is where the Galatians found themselves. I don't know your story. I don't know if you're stuck. I don't know if at some point you'll find yourself in this predicament. But wherever you might find yourself, wherever you've been, I want you to know something that Paul corrects himself. And he says, now that you know God, and he says, oh, no, no, let me correct that. Now that you're known by God. Now that you're known as a son and daughter. He says, be free. Be free. Be free. Scripture says that despite their fears and their longing for what was behind them, God led the Israelite people to the edge of the Red Sea and he parted it 
so that they could walk across on dry ground and their enemies could be destroyed behind them. But what happened in between is crucial to understanding our identity as sons and daughters. Exodus 14, 19 and 20 says, Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Notice that the Lord was with them and kept them safe as he covered them from their enemies by way of a cloud. Psalm 61, 3 and 4 says, For you have been my shelter, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. As we close out here today and we stand, I want you to consider this. That there's freedom in holding fast to your identity as a child of God. Children of God are heirs. And maybe somewhere along the way you've bought a lie and you've believed. No, not me. This is exclusive to a select few in church. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says this, says that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. Your identity has nothing to do with where you came from. Your identity has nothing to do with what you've done. Your identity has nothing to do with the past that mars you or that people throw at you. Your identity has nothing to do with what you feel. Your identity has everything to do with what God has declared about you. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height. No depth. No width. No length. You are a son and daughter. And God calls you. To live in freedom. Freedom. Father, today we thank you for your word, which is truth. It is alive. It is active. It is powerful. And Lord, today it cuts to the very core of who we are and it discerns our intentions and our thoughts and it brings light right there. Father, we thank you for that truth. Because in the hearing of your word, Lord, faith is at work. And today, Lord, I thank you that you've met us right where we are. That you remind us and you tell us you're a son and daughter. You're not a slave. You don't belong under the yoke of anything. But my yoke, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, if there's anyone here today and you've never considered relationship with God, what does that mean? It means you've been doing life on your own. You've been seeking your own way. You've been doing your own thing. You've been trusting in, in, in what, whatever that is. But the truth is that you realize it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to anything. And today you're saying, you know what? I need God, man. I want to cross over to that other side. I want to see a path part for me. And God, do away with those things that burden me, that, that tie me down. You're prime and ready to receive the greatest gift of all. You're prime and ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Here's what that means. 
It means that you now put confidence in what God did for you and me. He died and rose again. He paid the penalty for sin that was yours and mine to pay so that we wouldn't have to pay it. So that we could be free. So that we could be holy. So that we could be above reproach and accepted by God. And if you believe that today, I want you to pray that with us with confidence. Congregation, let's pray this together with confidence. Say, Jesus, I believe. You love me. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I declare you're my Lord, my Savior, my God. And I'm looking forward. I'm no longer looking behind. I put my trust in you, Jesus. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Hey, if you prayed that with us, we celebrate Jesus Christ in your life. We thank God that new doors are opening unto you, that new paths have been forged for you. Don't leave here without telling us about your decision. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we leave here with confidence in Christ, free indeed, sons and daughters. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday. brought to me from the dungeon in Rome. And then lifting his eyes to heaven, the prisoner said, Oh God, have I fallen so low? Then turning his face to the painter, he cried, Da Vinci, look at me. Look at me again. I'm the same man you painted just seven years ago as the figure of Christ. I'll tell you why I share this story with you as we get started here. It's a sad day when we can get so far away from who we are in Christ that we become unrecognizable. And let me tell you why that's important. Because it's not about your behavior. I'm going to be very clear on this. It's not about your behavior for God. Because if it depended on how good you behave, you don't need Jesus. You just need your religion. You just need to do what seems right to you. You just need to be a good person. And that's not what the gospel is about. And so this, just like this man, we too can get so far away from our identity in Christ that we begin to resemble something that we were never meant to be. That's what religion will do to you. That's what confidence in yourself will do. And so as I said, today I want to talk to you about being sons and daughters Because you see, this is exactly what Paul now addresses as an issue that had developed in the lives of the Galatians as we now dig into chapter 4. It was prevalent in their lives to such an extent that these people where they once put confidence in Christ now put confidence in their adherence to religious rules. They got far away from their sonship. And Paul says to them in Galatians 3, as we read, that they are Abraham's seed and they are heirs according to the promise. You know what an heir is? An heir is one who has a right to everything that's the father's. Chew on that for a while. Chew on that one for a while. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. You're an heir, a son and daughter of the father. 
And I love what Paul says in chapter 3. He says, it doesn't matter. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Do you realize what he's saying in the context of the society that he's addressing? They put great importance on where you came from. Are you a male or are you a female? If you're a male, then you dominate. If you're a Jew, yeah, you belong under my feet. If you're a Greek, you're someone of some notoriety. If you're slave, it makes a big difference whether you're slave or you're free. And here's what Paul begins to address. The very things that people put their confidence in in that society. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. There's only one thing that matters if you're Christ's. If you're Christ's. And so let's dive into Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, we're not going to read the entire chapter of chapter 4 today. Uh, there's, there's a lot in there, but verses 1 through 7 really summarize what, what Paul's intent is in this portion of his letter. He starts off by saying in verse 1, what am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage. Let me just clarify something here. He's talking about when we were without Christ. He's saying when you weren't at a place of maturity, when you had not come to be alive in Christ. And so watch what he's saying here. He says, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. I'm going to say that again. You are no longer a slave. I'm going to say that again. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir. That's a mouthful there. But I want us to consider this. Hearing what we see is how any one of us can easily find ourselves stuck in life and in faith. Listen, the Galatians had gone so far left of their relationship to Christ that Paul equates their mindset and where they found themselves equivalent to being a slave. And here's what makes it worse. The, the verbiage that he uses there in the, in the, in the Greek is, implies it's a slave who was set free and then goes back to being a slave. So here's what Paul's saying. How did you get so far left? How did you go to that extent that you believe it's better to be back in bondage? It's better to be stuck in a muck like a duck. It's better 
To be stuck in destructive mindsets, it's better to put confidence in your adherence to religious rules, to your, to your attendance to a place that you call church when you, what, what you're not realizing is that you are the church and you brought it when you came here. Amen or oh me. It's one or the other. And so, listen. Paul is literally saying, this this is what he's getting at. After being free, why would you want to go back to being bound? Why would you want to go back to being stuck? Look, here's the truth. I pray that we can just be honest with ourselves. At some point, we've all looked back to something, to someone, somewhere, at some time. Maybe, just maybe, I don't know your story, but maybe, just maybe, you might be there. Or at some point, you'll find yourself with the temptation to look backwards. Let me just put it to you this way. When you're driving your car, do you focus on the windshield or the rearview mirror? Some of you didn't get that. Listen closely. Your life in Christ was never intended for you to live backwards. Faith calls us forward. The Bible says that we go from faith to faith. Another portion of scripture says that we go from glory to glory. It's progressive. We continue moving forward. And so I want to point something out to you here that's very important because The key to getting unstuck from that something, that someone, that somewhere, that somehow, that sometime, is to get back to your identity as a son and daughter of God. Your life in Christ. So, here's the thing. Paul here is writing to people who are believers, which might lead us to believe that this only applies to you, Christian. But that's far from the truth. Let's put up verses 1 through 3 again. I want to read this to you again because I want you to see something. He says, what, if, what, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, listen closely to what he's talking about. As long as anyone finds himself in that position before Christ, watch what he says. He is no different from a slave. In other words, he's stuck. Although he owns, listen, The whole estate. Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. What did we just read there? What did we just read there? Listen closely to what the scripture's revealing. What God has done is for the entire world. Jesus said that. Watch this. This world is full of heirs. But some don't know it. don't know it. And you know, for us that we profess, we claim, we hold to the title of Christian, you know what that means? Little Jesus. That's what it means. For us that hold to that, wear it like a badge, I'm a Christian. You know, we too can live like heirs who don't know what we have. We can hold to our traditions and to our upbringings. We can find ourselves in a place called church and say, oh, this, this, is not, this, this is not spiritual. This is not godly. 
You know, I've gotten that flack for wearing jeans. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I could care less. Because the Bible says that we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. After the spirit. And so, literally what we're seeing here is that God created us all to be free. Free from a slave mindset. Free from limits imposed on us. Free from religion. Free from the tireless cycle of trying to be good enough. So the question is, how does a son and daughter get unstuck from that which enslaves them? How do we move past these areas that keep us stuck? Living backwards instead of living forwards. And Paul provides us the solution in verses 4 through 7. Throw up verse 4 real quick. Watch what he says. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Watch what he's saying. That word redeem means to buy back. But it's not just talking about buying something. It's talking about buying back and bringing it to its original intended state. So watch what God is saying here. He says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Verse verse 6, please. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who now calls out Abba, Father. I'm just going to stop right there for the sake of time. And I want to point something out to you. I want you to see that God's solution to mankind's problem and to every area where we get stuck is that he adopted us as sons and daughters. That's the choice that God made about you. That's the choice. That's his choice. But notice, if we could just go back to verse 4. Real quick, put that right back up. I want to show you something. I want you to notice something. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 5 I meant. My bad. Verse 5, I want you to see something. I want you to see this, that the redemption that we receive, that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to buy us back, to restore us to a rightful state. But watch how, watch how that happens. That we, somebody say, he's talking to me. going to tell somebody else he's talking to you. Now tell everybody else he's talking to us. Yes. Watch this. That we might receive adoption unto sonship. So get this. What's my point here? God has already made up his mind about you as his son and daughter. But here's the, here's the key. Have you made up your mind about God as your father? Because notice what the scripture says. That God did his part. But it's up to us to receive adoption into sonship. God literally declares, I'm father unto all of them. So his mind is made up. You don't believe me? Listen to the words of Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved. Oh, I, I thought it just said Christian. I, I thought it said just us who go to the holy temple of fire where we, we shimmy and we shake and we, and we sing and we do all this and we look good and we act the part. No, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 is just as important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. That shuts down about three quarters of churches today. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And so, listen, God's made up his mind. The question is, do we receive this sonship? See, you must receive your identity as God's child to live as an heir of God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. You must receive, you must accept, you must believe, you must wear it proudly. Some of you ladies got up this morning and you did your hair. And girl, you are doing it. It's good. It looks good. You, you put some time into it. Right? Awesome. Gentlemen, you look just as handsome, guys. You, you look awesome, guys. Right? You put some time into it. What if we devoted and made a daily practice of reminding ourselves and wearing it? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of the kingdom. I'm an heir. So you must receive your identity as God's child to live as an heir of God's kingdom. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just draw your attention to a portion of scripture. See, the case of mistaken identity, the case of mistaken identity where we say, no, I'm a Jose. No, I'm a carpenter. No, I'm a mother. No, I'm a, I'm a churchgoer. No, I, I'm, I'm a reader, a student of the Bible. No, I'm this, I'm that. Those are all functions. Those are not your identity. They are not our identity. But listen, this case of mistaken identity where we forego our title as son and daughter of the king of kings. Son and daughter of God, where we let that go. This has been happening since the beginning of time. You don't believe me? Just go to Genesis. You'll see it. I'm not going that far back. Today, I want to take you to the book of Exodus. And it's a time where the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they've been hanging out. They've been camping out for about 400 years in this place called Egypt, right? And the thing about it is that when the Bible refers to Egypt, it's symbolic of one thing, of a system known as the world. It's, it's literally referring to a mindset that leads and leaves us in enslavement. It's life apart from God. And so the people of God find themselves in this place, Egypt, and they are stuck. The thing about it is that it started off good, like it does for us when you get stuck. You ever been there? Oh, man, this feels good. This looks good. Yes, he is the man of my dreams. Ah. And then six months later, you're going, who in heaven is this guy? Who is this person? What is going on here? But I thought it was God just because it looked good. And so they started off and it was all good in Egypt. The Pharaoh, the, the, the ruling emperor of that, of that time favored them. But then all of a sudden this guy passes away. And the book of Exodus chronicles the story of Israel, God's people, and their struggle to break free from this bondage 
that they self-imposed upon themselves. You know why? Because they bought a lie. They bought a lie. And so when all of a sudden this new pharaoh comes into town, he decides, oh, no, we got a problem here. We got to change some things around. See, these people were prospering. They were growing in numbers. These people were taking over Egypt. Do you know that that's a picture of what God does through his people? Did did you know that? Did you know that that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to work? It advances. It expands. It grows people. It impacts community. It impacts lives. It doesn't stay contained within these little four walls. And so check this out. This new pharaoh comes along and he becomes alarmed at the way they were prospering. And he decided some things had to change. Exodus chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 says this. This is his recorded words. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. You can't keep God's people down. And so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. You know, for a long time, it puzzled me how the people of Israel could grow to such great strength and prosperity only to become slaves. Captive to the ruling minority. But God's word has a lot to say about how that becomes possible. Listen, they were more in number than the people of Egypt. They were more in number than the people of Egypt. They were prospering in every way. And here comes this Pharaoh and says this. Your title is no longer Israelite. Let me put it to you another way. Your title is no longer son, daughter, child of God. Your title is slave. And you know, slavehood, that mindset, that life is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. And so they bow down to this mentality. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, watch this. When you start trusting in God, when you look to God, when your confidence is in Jesus, it says that the veil... Is taken away. In other words, you can see. Watch this. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So let me just point some things out here just based upon what we read. Wherever God is, there's freedom. There's freedom. So God's here amongst his people. He's checking them out and he's going... What, there, there's an inconsistency here with what you're called to. You're not living as free men. You're not living as heirs of the kingdom. You've forsaken 
your title, your calling as a child of God. And here's what they did. It was like putting a veil over their eyes. It's like a little kid when they go, oh, I can't see you. I can't see you. You know, the only reason they can't see you is because they made the choice to cover their eyes. Listen, when you forget who you are, you forego who you belong to. When you forget who you are as a child of God, you forego who you belong to. While having the kingdom of God with you, in you, Christ alive in you, you forego life in the kingdom. You set it aside. And so the presence of God was with them. They were God's chosen people. But you see, it's not enough to be chosen by God for freedom in all areas of your life. We also must make the choice to choose God and seek him. See, freedom is for everyone. It's for everyone. But it is exclusive to those who seek God as his children. I'm going to say that again. Freedom is for everyone. But it is exclusive to those who seek God as his children. In other words, it's simply this. What God has done in Christ is for all. But you know who are the ones that partake of it? The ones that take part in it. The ones who seek it. It's a choice. And so the Bible says that they began to cry out to God. And the moment they began to cry out to God, something happened. Exodus 3 verses 7 through 8 says this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Listen, you find yourself stuck? God cares more than you do. He cares about where you are. So they're suffering and he hears them. Verse 8, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians is to bring them out of the land, of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go ahead and tell somebody there's something better than Egypt. Tell somebody else there's something better than your Egypt. Listen. God had something better for them. And this is where the Israelites and the the Galatians both went wrong. Can 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 I make it a little bit more personal? This is where we go wrong. We believe that we got it all together. We believe that we've arrived. (laughs) We believe that we, you know, that, that we, we're so high and mighty that we're above the fray. Man. But watch what Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. With all your heart. Listen, don't make the mistake of believing in God, but forgetting his presence, his, his presence, his purpose, and his power in your life. In your search throughout life's journey, seek God with all your heart. Make that investment. So eventually, through a series of miraculous acts on their behalf, 
and the obedience of this one guy, Moses, Egypt's grip on the people of Israel is broken. And they leave Egypt. So get this, they're free. Or so it seems. It seems they're free. Listen, they've left Egypt, but the problem is they're still thinking on Egypt. Desiring Egypt. Longing for some chains, some whips, and a hot meal to go along with them. And so the Bible says that as they leave Egypt, God directs them to a land near the Red Sea as a ploy to draw out the Egyptians so that they can destroy them, so that God can destroy them. And sometime shortly after that, the Egyptians show up hot on their heels and things get really ugly. Let's see why. Exodus 14, verses 10 through 12. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. The Israelites looked up. Sounds like they were looking in the right direction, right? And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Listen to their prayer. Listen to their prayer. They said to Moses, was it because there were There were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? (laughs) They cried out to God. And they're saying, we're dead people. Listen to what they're doing. They are writing their obituary. They're standing up and delivering their own demise. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to tell you about the wreck that I've created with my life. And now I'm about to die. This is what they're doing. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into this desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Did we not say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. Listen to what they say. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Keep in mind, these people are free. God already said that they were going to a land that flowed with milk and honey. That they would conquer great territories. Like an heir, they had a guaranteed inheritance. So here's the question. Why were they afraid? Why were they stuck? What was it that made slavery seem so much better than God's promise? Let me tell you why. Because when the past is still an option, the promise of God appears distant. When your past, when anything but God is still an option, what God has for you is distant. You're stuck. These people left Egypt as free men. But their prior existence as slaves had marred their belief their understanding, their view of life to such an extent that they preferred bondage. Let me tell you why that's important. Because there are no slaves in the kingdom of God. Free men and free women is what we have in the kingdom. God has not called you to live stuck In Galatians 4, 8, and 9, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, watch this, or rather you're known by God, 
How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Listen, this is where the Galatians found themselves. I don't know your story. I don't know if you're stuck. I don't know if at some point you'll find yourself in this predicament. But wherever you might find yourself, wherever you've been, I want you to know something. That Paul corrects himself. And he says, now that you know God, and he says, oh, no, no, no. Let me correct that. Now that you're known by God. Now that you're known as a son and daughter. He says, be free. Be free. Be free. Scripture says that despite their fears and their longing for what was behind them, God led the Israelite people to the edge of the Red Sea and he parted it so that they could walk across on dry ground and their enemies could be destroyed behind them. But what happened in between is crucial to understanding our identity as sons and daughters. Exodus 14, 19, and 20 says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Notice that the Lord was with them and kept them safe as he covered them from their enemies by way of a cloud. Psalm 61, 3 and 4 says, For you have been my shelter, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. As we close out here today and we stand, I want you to consider this. That there's freedom in holding fast to your identity as a child of God. Children of God are heirs. And maybe somewhere along the way you've bought a lie and you've believed. No, not me. This is exclusive to a select few in church. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says this, says that you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. Your identity has nothing to do with where you came from. Your identity has nothing to do with what you've done. Your identity has nothing to do with the past that mars you or that people throw at you. Your identity has nothing to do with what you feel. Your identity has everything to do with what God has declared about you. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, no width, no length. You are a son and daughter. And God calls you. To live in freedom. Freedom. Father, today we thank you for your word, which is truth. It is alive. It is active. It is powerful. And Lord, today it cuts to the very core of who we are and it discerns our intentions and our thoughts and it brings light right there. Father, we thank you for that truth. Because in the hearing of your word, Lord, faith is at work. 
And today, Lord, I thank you that you've met us right where we are. That you remind us and you tell us you're a son and daughter. You're not a slave. You don't belong under the yoke of anything. But my yoke, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, if there's anyone here today and you've never considered relationship with God, what does that mean? It means you've been doing life on your own. You've been seeking your own way. You've been doing your own thing. You've been trusting in, in, in what, whatever that is. But the truth is that you realize it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to anything. And today you're saying, you know what? I need God, man. I want to cross over to that other side. I want to see a path part for me. And God, do away with those things that burden me, that, that tie me down. You're prime and ready to receive the greatest gift of all. You're prime and ready to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Here's what that means. It means that you now put confidence in what God did for you and me. He died and rose again. He paid the penalty for sin that was yours and mine to pay so that we wouldn't have to pay it. So that we could be free. So that we could be holy. So that we could be above reproach and accepted by God. And if you believe that today, I want you to pray that with us with confidence. Congregation, let's pray this together with confidence. Say, Jesus, I believe. You love me. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I declare you're my Lord. My Savior. My God. And I'm looking forward. I'm no longer looking behind. I put my trust in you, Jesus, and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Hey, if you prayed that with us, we celebrate Jesus Christ in your life. We thank God that new doors are opening unto you, that new paths have been forged for you. Don't leave here without telling us about your decision. We want to walk alongside you. Now, Father, we leave here with confidence in Christ, free indeed. Sons and daughters, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.